Wow, thank you so much to our worship team. Give it up for them. And Ramon, that was amazing, the spoken word. And thank you so much for Bill for sharing your testimony. And I think the camera went off when you cried there, so you might not have witness of that. But uh, I do appreciate you sharing your life, and you are truly a miracle story that we're here to celebrate today. If you're here visiting with us, it is great to have you. And my title of the sermon today is Don't Settle for Less Than a Resurrected Life. You know, in this life, we can be tempted to settle for less than what God has planned for us. We can give up our dreams. We can give up our morals. We can give up our values. And in a way, we end up giving up our life that God gave us. You know, today is a day where we want all of us to increase our faith, to believe that God doesn't just have you here to take up space, but that he has a special and specific purpose for your life and yours alone. You know, as we get started, I just got back last night from taking my son uh, to visit colleges, and we ended up in Harvard Square And for me, this was a really special time on our trip as we went through where I started my spiritual journey a few years ago, about 30 years ago. So we went by where I was met coming home from practice one day by one of my teammates. He invited me to a Bible talk, which sounded innocent enough. I took him to my favorite gate into the Harvard Yard that says, Enter to Grow in Wisdom. I wonder how many people truly went in that gate looking for wisdom. I felt like in finding God and and coming to faith that I truly found wisdom. And I felt like one of the lucky few. At the top of the gate, it's the, the, the... The mantra of the campus says veritas, the pursuit of truth. And although up until that point in my life I did not have a truth to stand on, I could truly say that I found truth in God's word. And we went to my dorm where I stayed, and my daughter, who was 19, was the same age that I was when I met my wife, Danielle. And I just was imagining and recognizing how we have come full circle in this journey of life. And now we start again. As they start out with their faith, as they step on in their life. And I pray that today can be a new start for all of us or a renewed start for others of us. Let's start with the prayer. And I want to ask that we please remember Ann Carver, uh, Ron's mom and Cole's uh, grandma, Uh, in our prayers, as she's recently been diagnosed with cancer. So let's pray with me. Father, we do thank you for this time to come together. God, I pray for the next few minutes that you open up our hearts to your word, that you help us to see things that we've never seen before, that you get me out of the way. God, I pray for miracles to happen. I pray for miracles to happen with Ann Carver. I pray for miracles to happen with us today. God, we love you. We pray in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Turn with me, if you will, to John chapter 21. And we're going to read one of my favorite stories about Jesus and his disciples, namely about Peter. 
In verse 1 it says, Afterward Jesus appeared to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel from Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat. But that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore. But the disciples did not realize it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. And the disciple who Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. So Simon Peter climbed into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread and gave it and did the same for the fish. This was the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. Like I said, one of my favorite stories, the third time that Jesus appeared to his disciples. And it's interesting that here it says that they were sure, they were certain that it was Jesus. The other times they'd seen him, they still maybe weren't completely sure. Sometimes we see Jesus, but then we wonder, did that really happen? And yet this time, they were sure. They knew that they were coming to Jesus who was there to help them and not to judge them. So many times today we feel like when we go to church, we're going to get judged. That people are going to throw the Bible at us. That they're going to tell us all the things that we're doing wrong and how bad of a person we are. And I'm here to tell you that we're all the same. That there's no one in this room who is better than anyone else in this room. In the eyes of Jesus, we're all the same. And sometimes, because we feel different, we are kept from the life that God has for us. My first point is don't settle for less than the miraculous. Peter here was going out fishing after the resurrection. Some people think that he was going back to his old life. Other people think he just had to eat. I don't know, but it seems like whatever it was, Peter wasn't where he needed to be fully. Maybe he was settling for something less than what Jesus had planned for him. Here he says, and he goes out to fish, and Jesus asked him if he caught any fish. 
Maybe they thought he was a customer on the bank. Hey, I want to buy some fish for my family. Do you have any? Do we have any fishermen in the house? We have a few. You can't be a fisherman and not have experienced days when you go out fishing and catch no fish. And maybe you almost caught a fish or you had a few bites or it got close. When a fisherman's telling you the story, you're not really sure if it was. But the fact remains that you will not catch 153 fish after a night of no fish without Jesus. You may go out fishing and catch a few fish in your life. You may have a few things going for you, but you will not have a miraculous life without Jesus. You may do better than someone next to you, or you may feel good about yourself, but you don't know what Jesus could do with your life. And he was here to remind them, don't settle for a few fish. I will blow your mind with the miracles I'll do in your life. I thought it was interesting, not that I'm a great fisherman, but that you would be fishing and you would take advice from someone on the bank. If that was your job, I don't know that I would do that, but they were pretty humble to throw their nets on the right side of the boat like there's no fish on the left side of the boat. They have to throw it on the right side of the boat. But for some reason, they did it. And they caught an amazing catch. And I love Peter because he was kind of slow. John figured out that it was Jesus. Maybe he was a little younger. He was a little sharper of mind. But Peter was first in devotion. When he heard it was Jesus, he jumped into the water. Even though he'd already seen him risen a couple times, he still jumped into the water. That amazes me. It wasn't the first meeting. Easter had already happened. This was later. God calls us to continue to be devoted. Not just for one time, not just for two times, but again and again and again, like Peter. My favorite part of the story is the catch itself. Not just because it was a lot of fish, but because it reminded Peter of the time that he was called by Christ. This was the same exact thing that happened in the beginning. They had a miraculous catch of fish after not catching fish. And he came up to Jesus, if you remember, and I know many of you do, and he was afraid. And he said, Lord, go away from me. I'm a sinful man. And Jesus said, don't be afraid. I will make you a fisher of people. I will give you a purpose for your life. I will use you. I will give you a second chance. Your legacy won't simply be a few stories of fish. And then Jesus invites them to have breakfast on the beach. He tells them to bring their fish that they just caught, but he didn't really need fish. He already had fish. Jesus can do that. And he gives them that invitation. He gives 
all of us an invitation through his word. To come to me, come and see who I really am. That was the challenge that he gave his first disciples. They wondered who he was and he said, if you want to know, you've got to come and find out. He says to come and learn. Come and learn from me. Through simple stories that talk about profound truth. Come to me if you want to find true rest. Come to me if you want to inherit eternal life. He gives all of us an invitation and that invitation implies a response. Either we say, no, I won't come, or yes, I will come. And I love that about Jesus. He didn't make people follow him. He reminded Peter of all that they had been through in this one miracle. And his request at this time was just come and have breakfast. Just a simple time with Jesus. We're going to see a lot of miracles in our lives, but we're also, he wants us not just to see miracles, but to spend time with him. To have those special times of eating together and fellowshipping with him and with other of his followers. Right now we're going to have April Rubio come up and share. And Bill shared a little bit about not settling in his life before Christ. And here April is going to share a little of not settling in her life after Christ. Uh, good morning. I'm going to start off just reading a scripture in Hebrews 12:2, which says, Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Um, like Scott said, my name is April Rubio, and I'm not quite as talented as the people before me, so I need to read what I wrote. <laughs> um, okay. Thank you. Okay. Um, so I'm going to be sharing my story about the continuous power of Jesus' resurrection in my life. I'm really fortunate to have learned the truth about Jesus at the age of 19. After studying the Bible, I made the decision to make Jesus both Lord and Savior and was baptized in October of 2005. Never would I have imagined the impact that decision would have in the years to follow. I was saved, but the healing process was just beginning. As a young teenager, I struggled with depression and even suicidal thoughts at times. My own struggles, coupled with being raised in a single-parent, alcoholic home, and my other parent being in and out of my life due to their own mental health issues, left me insecure, desperate for belonging, and with a deep desire for unconditional love. I remember laying awake many nights as a teenager, feeling hopeless and overwhelmed. So when my first few years as a Christian were so filled with joy, hope, and freedom from sin, I thought I was also free from my past. But around the beginning of 2009, I began to experience a deep disconnect in my relationship with God. I was doing many of the good and right things, outward actions, praying and reading my Bible, sharing with others about Jesus, actively serving in my college ministry, but yet something was still off. It seemed like the harder I tried, the heavier the fog became. 
Eventually, I would come to learn I was struggling with depression and anxiety once again. Unable to process what I was experiencing and overwhelmed with shame due to my emotional highs and lows uh, led me to many dark places, a codependent and impure relationship that lasted for almost two years, financial hardships, going before the church due to my unrepentant sin, and ultimately dropping out of college my last semester before graduating. My physical and mental well-being did not allow me to function, and most days were filled with darkness, hopelessness, and mostly fear. A deep fear that I would never be the same again, that I had ruined my life well beyond repair and derailed God's plans for me. Full of brokenness and inadequacy, I moved back home to the desert at the beginning of 2011. The transition was extremely challenging. I was in the midst of my depression, feeling all alone and having to start over. I was full of shame and felt like a failure. Deep in my grief and tied by habits that were holding me back, I decided to seek out professional help. I began therapy and started medication at the advice of my doctors. And at that time, these felt like the steps of a failed Christian, but God used them instead to begin the restoration and healing process. And this was not a one-time choice. God has provided several opportunities for growth and healing, such as participating in recovery programs, attending groups for food issues, Christian counselings, and stepping stones in my career. These did not happen overnight nor all at once. It took several years, and many times I felt stagnant and even stuck in my journey. Very few things were constant during these times, but my need to be in God's word and to be close to God's people remained steady. This meant for me that those were not optional, despite what had happened the day before or even the hour before. I needed to be with the body to worship and hear the word. I needed to push myself, most times through anger and many tears, to pray and journal, fighting and believing I would find healing and restoration. I needed to read God's word, even if that meant I read the same verse day after day, because it was all I could, I could do. I clung to verses like Isaiah 43, which promised that because God loved me, he would walk through all circumstances with me, no matter how overwhelming they may seem. This was the only way for God to be louder than the shame that shouted at me to give up and give in. And slowly, surely, in the way only God can, healing came. In layers, in different ways, but always in the right time and amount. He has restored relationships strengthened and grown my mental and emotional health, and opened doors time after time. Life is now fuller than I thought possible, and I am in awe of how far God has brought me. The journey continues, and I've learned to embrace a lifelong progress, not immediate perfection. Jesus bore the shame of my sins on the cross, not just those committed before I became a Christian, but the shame of those he knew I would commit after salvation. I am so grateful that Jesus stepped into my life at 19 because he knew I wouldn't be able to face what lie ahead without him. Jesus saw the joy beyond the pain and suffering of the cross, and because of him, I also can see the joy in my life beyond the suffering I experience. Thank you for letting me share. Well, thank you. Thank you, April. That was really powerful. And it gives us hope that we can start with Christ, but we can continue. We can fall down and we can get up again. Thank goodness for that. Imagine if you fell down and you could never get up spiritually. That would make this room a very empty place. 
But praise God that we can change. Even as Christians, that we can grow, that we can struggle, that we can fight. Fighting doesn't stop when you get baptized. Sometimes it just begins. Let's continue with John 21 at the end. Just like when Jesus called Peter the first time, he did the miraculous catch and he had this amazing sermon and the whole focus for him was, Peter is my guy. I want him. I'm reaching out for him. I want him to follow me and become a fisher of people. I believe that this experience on the beach was not just so they could have an amazing breakfast and make some money by selling the fish. That I believe it was to remind Peter and ask him and continue the conversation after breakfast. That when they finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and you went where you wanted. But when you were old, you will stretch out your hands. And someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then he said to him, follow me. This was the conversation that Jesus needed to have with Peter. This is what makes me feel like Peter was not where he needed to be spiritually to finish the race. You know, I bet if, he, if Jesus came into this room, he would look at all of us and he would say the same thing. You and I are not where we need to be spiritually to finish the race. And he may ask us, do you love me more than this? Do you love me more than your job? Do you love me more than this? Do you love me more than your family? Do you love me more than this? Do you love me more than the attention you get from that person at work? Do you love me more than this? Your 401k. Do you love me more than this? Even your own life and what you want to do with it. That's what he asked Peter here. And my second point is don't settle for less than a life of giving. With every response, Jesus said to feed my sheep, take care of my followers, continue to give and serve and love and pour yourself out. Don't just think about yourself, Peter. Think about my people. Think about my church. Think about those around you. And in so many ways, I believe that's the biggest challenge for me. 
Some people, they, are, they naturally think about others, and they're, they're compelled because of others. I'm not that way. Some people, they like to get together, and they like to hang out, and they like to have, you know, group times. I enjoy being by myself, doing what I want to do. You guys are judging me, aren't you? Okay, raise your hand if you like people to tell you what to do. Okay, we have one liar among us. That's basically what Jesus is saying. He's saying, okay, if you want to love me, then you're going to have to put aside what you have planned for your life. And trust me, my plan is better, but you've got to go where I want you to go. If you want to have a full life, you're going to have to follow my example. As Jesus was literally feeding his sheep for breakfast. As he was feeding them spiritually with miracles, Jesus was demonstrating and had demonstrated what he meant. To love and lay down his life. This was the public restoration of Peter after he denied Jesus three times. Now he confesses his love for Jesus three times. Not a coincidence. And many of you Bible scholars know that Jesus asked him the first two times, Do you love me? Do you love me? And the word there is agape. In our terminology, you could think about, Are you fully committed to me? Are you all in, Peter? Will you die for me? And Peter's response both times was the word phileo, which if we wanted to translate that would be, I like you. So if you imagine that conversation you're having with someone who says, you know, you're pouring your heart out. I love you with all my heart. And they say, I like you. I give, I love you so much. I'm your friend. That's a bad word when you're having that conversation. But that's what Peter said. Jesus said, you love me, and he says, I like you. That was the whole reason Jesus was having this conversation. And then Jesus, the third time, says, Peter, do you like me? And he said, yes, you know all things. Just liking Jesus is not going to be enough. Just being his friend is not what he wants. He wants us to love him with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our strength. And I love Peter. His first response is, well, what about that guy? What about John? Isn't that us? That's a really tough one, but how about, what what does that mean for Bill? What does that mean for Amory? Let's ask him. And Jesus said, no, let's not. If you want a personal relationship with Jesus, you've got to have a personal love for him. 
You have to have a life that demonstrates your personal love for Christ. That if someone were to follow me around, they should see my love for Christ in how I live. Because if I like him, I will do a lot of things that will not honor him. That we would call hypocritical. Because there's a lot of people that like Jesus. And when we think of church, we think of those people that like Jesus. But I'm not talking about those people. I'm talking about us. I'm talking about me, and I'm talking about me and you getting where we need to be in our love for Christ. He tells him this story about Peter being led where he didn't want to go. And challenges him to follow me. And the thing that I never thought about before was that this was written down after Peter had already given his life for Christ. About 34 years after they had this conversation, Peter was set to die on a cross for his faith and he chose to die upside down. And then about 16 years after that, John wrote this book down. And it was distributed and his life was finished. And when I thought about that, it got me emotional because it made me realize, wow, he finished. He wasn't just talking about loving Jesus in the future. He actually finished when this book was written. He did glorify God. He did love Jesus. He did live a life of giving. And he finished. You know, when we went to Harvard, there's a cemetery that's near the campus. And you can't really read that because it's so old. But it says Gregory Stone on it. And on the top it says, Born England, 1590. And the second line says, Came to America, 1635. And the last died 1672. So Gregory Stone, at 45 years old, decides to go across the Atlantic, which was old back then. And then he lived to be 82 years old when he died. Would anybody remember him today? Anyone? 400, over 400 years later. That gives you perspective on your life. That gave me perspective on my life. Will it, will anyone remember my life? Will anyone remember yours? And the thing that struck me about this one was that The stone, it said the stone was reproduced by his relatives later. Because all the other stones that were in the really old section were were blank. You couldn't even read them. And you could look around the cemetery, and I was geeking out on all these 
stones and the kids thought I was crazy and they ended up liking it. But you could tell which, when it, uh, when the person died by the type of material was used. And so this was about an 1800 stone. So that means that 150 years after this guy, Gregory Stone, died, his family got together and made him another stone. And that's the reason that he's remembered. And if they didn't do that, he wouldn't be remembered. But it made me think about the legacy of faith that I was reminiscing about as I was walking around the college campus there. If I didn't come to faith at that time, would anyone remember my life? Would it have mattered that I had lived 400 years later? And through our faith, we can have a legacy that your great, great, great grandkids can remember you because of your faith. They could tell the story of Bill at age 44. After many years of wandering, And that's when my faith legacy started. They may not know about Bill. They might not know much about him. But they could point back and see that's where the faith started in my family. As we take our communion. I thought of my legacy. Born 1971. That's either old or young, depending on who you are. (laughs) Baptized 1989. And the rest is to be written. I hope that I can follow Peter's example and glorify God in the end. I hope that today you don't want to just settle for a life on this earth. A life with no miracles and no resurrection and no legacy. I pray that as we remember Jesus, that we recommit ourselves to loving him. And we claim our spot in the resurrection someday. Let's pray and we'll take our communion together. Father, we thank you so much for this time together. We thank you how you know exactly how to help us remember. God, I pray that even now that we can remember back when you called us for the first time, if you've called us in the past. That we can remember the miracles. And we can recommit ourselves to you, to to giving to your sheep, to, to living a life of love. To continuing to see you work. Thank you so much for Jesus and him laying down his life for us. God, today I pray as we take communion, we don't just remember that he died on a cross for us, but we remember that he raised from the dead for us. That that's our ultimate destiny. We love you. We pray in Jesus' name.